guitars rain soul around. Turn up the dial, kick back, we're freedom bound. So pack up your bags and throw me the keys. Welcome to episode 25 of Women of the Wiggins, where the men aren't the only ones with stories from the Wiggin Trail. I'm your host, Cass Patterson, and well, It's been a hot minute. Last time I talked to you guys, it was November 2020. Who else is putting their hand up and saying, thank goodness 2020 is over? I am. Me. Over here. Um, Not a lot, I guess, has changed with 2021 coming back. But, I mean, it's a new year, new hopes, new dreams. Hopefully things will start to open up. But uh, I guess I took a week off there at the beginning of uh, 2021. Um, my Nana passed away and, uh, I just need to take some time, but I, uh, I kind of wanted to share this story as we got off onto this new year, new episode, um, because it's one that warms my heart. And I've been told that if you lose someone, the best way to keep them around is through telling stories. Uh, so when we started after the ninth and Women of the Wagons, I uh, took my phone to the home and my mom was really excited to tell her that I was doing this new podcast and so we turned it on and I wanted her to hear uh, specifically the interview with Brienne Glass and that because my Nana went to school with Tommy so we uh, sat down and we started playing it And here I am all proud and I'm like, listen to this, Nana, like you're going to love this. And she falls asleep. (laughs) Yeah, my uh, grandmother fell asleep listening to my podcast and listening to me talk. So I'm not 100% sure what that means, but that did happen. So just, you know. There's a little bit of a story for you. But uh, yeah, last week I took the week off just because uh, I needed that time and I needed that space. But now we're back and I'm ready to tell the stories of the Women of the Wagons. And I'm so excited to share them with you. Um, This interview actually was done back at the beginning of December. And it's with Candace Melvin. Now, Candace, probably not a name that you're going to know right off the bat. But if you've been around the barns, you've probably seen her, you know her. She grew up around the wagons, not in the traditional fashion, but she'll explain that in our interview. And if you haven't heard of her, uh, if you don't know who she is, this is going to be a really cool interview because Candace grew up around Team 23. She has an absolute love for the wagons. Um, she actually went from a corporate party in downtown Calgary once upon a time to go back to the wagons to help out Team 23 and Sue picked her up and uh, made sure she was fed and everything. But yeah, Candace has some really cool stories and we dive deep into things like social media, promoting the sport, promoting the drivers, promoting the horses. Um, So I guess that's enough babbling from me. Without further ado, here is our interview with Candace Melvin. Welcome to Women of the Wagons, and we are on with Candace Melvin. How are you doing today, Candace? I'm doing pretty great. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, I guess people don't really know about you, but if anybody has been to the races and they've seen the giant WPCA gear truck, they've met your dad. So uh, I'm excited to have you on, and I'm sure we can talk a little bit about your dad at some point in time. 
Oh, for sure. He's already sent me notes of like things that he wanted me to talk about to discuss for him. So we got to, got to loop him in. <laughs> got it. Got to keep Ken happy. Got to keep him happy. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I guess let's kind of start with uh, your background and how you got into truck wagon racing. Yeah, so I kind of have a like weird approach of how I got into wagon racing because I'm not a driver's daughter or true family or uh, dating a driver, outrider, anything like that. Um, so I got into chuck wagons when I was probably in junior high. So my dad's really good friend um, used to sponsor a driver during the Calgary Stampede. So it was always one of our highlights uh, to go down one night to the races and get to go back to the barns and meet the horses. And um, I grew up as kind of every little uh, girl in Alberta and wanted to be a vet and loved horses, loved dogs. So my life was really centered around animals. So getting to go back to the chuck wagon barns was always a highlight of the stampede for me. Um, and then in 2000, my dad founded a group called the Mavericks. Um, so they started sponsoring uh, Larry McEwen down at uh, during the Calgary Stampede. And I got really actively involved through that um, just from my parents being down at the barns every night. Uh, so Larry's sister, Tammy, actually kind of took me under her wing. So she was my first introduction to everything that kind of had to do with uh, thoroughbreds and racehorses. So from learning how to wrap, to learning how to harness, to learning how to take care of horses and feed, everything along those lines. Um, so I helped them usually out a couple uh, nights throughout the summer um, during Stampede. And then in 2003, my mom, uh, she worked for WestJet Airlines, uh, sponsored Rick Fraser. And that's kind of where I think my like falling off the deep end into Chuck Wagon stars started there. Um, so uh, yeah, it was funny. So we we're at the 2003 Stampede Tarp Auction and I was sitting with my mom and two other people from WestJet and they were kind of going through the list of who they thought they should bid on. And so they asked me, they're like, have you heard anything about Rick? And I was like, oh, I've only, you know, really heard that he's like a really nice family guy and all of that. And they happened to bid on him and be the winner and uh, so afterwards my mom and I went and met um, Rick and Sue and we're chatting with them and I was really similar age to their daughters so they had they had said like oh like you'll probably hit it off with like Keely and Amy really well um, they're your same age kind of same interests and so that year actually my mom and I flew up to Grand Prairie um, for Stompede and I met Kaylee there and we instantly became best friends like it really like it happened instantly. It was kind of weird. Um, and from that summer, uh, my mom was also, I think it happened that summer. So WestJet also sponsored the WPCA. So mom would go down to every single tour stop and I just kind of tagged along. So I started out as a sponsor's daughter mixed in with then becoming like an annoying little tag along uh, wagon daughter friend um, and then moved into being a barn hand. Um, so I think once Rick found out that I was kind of sticking around and had an interest in horses and had a little bit more of a use, um, they gave me a little bit more responsibility of helping out in the barns. And since then, I mean, we're now in 2020, I'm pretty much considered like an adopted daughter of them. So uh, my biggest involvement with the chuck wagons though was definitely with the horses. So um, Rick really played a role into helping me with that um, and just kind of giving me some ownership and along with Kaylee, obviously uh, just teaching me so much about the horses. So that's kind of the roundabout way how I got into wagon racing. So when I was younger, I would follow them pretty much every summer when um, mom was on the tour. And then once I kind of got older and got my old, own career, 
career, it was just became a little bit more sporadic of what shows I could make it to, but was always welcome in the Fraser barn, always just kind of jumped in and became a little bit of a barn boss. Look, unless Kaylee was there, then she was ahead of me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was my involvement in chuck wagon racing. That's a really cool story though, because you went from being pretty much completely outside to then you you lived, breathed, and ate the wagons, and the horses, in a sense, became your babies as much as they were Kaylee and Rick's and Sue's. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, then it also, like, our whole family got involved with it. So mom through sponsorship with WestJet, so sponsoring at the Calgary Stampede, sponsoring on the tour, um, dad's big involvement with the Mavericks, um, obviously just kind of took over like they were able to sponsor Rick one year which was like really special to kind of have like my two dads um, getting to support them um, and uh, and yeah it was just kind of a weird weird way to get involved but it's been fun to the last couple of years when Rick was running uh, getting to like see my parents when we were going down the road too so it was kind of having that getting to be um, involved with them in the summer as well so it wasn't even just with the horses but getting to spend time with my folks was pretty special coming back to that whole family orientation thing that this sport brings and all the fun that comes with it. Yeah, sometimes too much fun. <laughs> we'll get to that later. <laughs> We're a PG show. We'll keep it PG. Perfect. <laughs> um, so that first year that you really became a barn hand, that you really became a part of the team and a part of everything. Um, what was that like? Kind of what was your learning experience and like I guess you kind of had to lean on Kaylee and Rick and Sue to learn some of the biggest curves, but do you mind talking about some of those? Yeah, for sure. Um, so a lot I had kind of first learned when I was in Larry McEwen's barn um, from Tammy. So she kind of at least gave me sort of a rundown. Um, and one of the first, I guess, years that I really got to be involved is in 2002, we ended up going down to Las Vegas for the chuck wagons. Um, so got to go and experience that. And uh, that was probably my first time of like, being sort of on the road and getting to like look after the horses because um, Vegas was just so different. Um, and then when I got to be involved with uh, Rick, um, yeah, it was definitely a, a steep learning curve. Um, I had always just kind of been involved with like hunter jumper horses beforehand. So getting to be involved with thoroughbreds is very different. Um, so I really did just appreciate the fact that they uh, were so willing to teach me. Um, so just everything from harnessing to saddling to what bits we need to be put uh, in which horses and where we put them on the wagon. Um, that was all like everything that I kind of learned from Rick and Kaylee. Um, and I mean, I was just a sponsor's kid. Like they really didn't have to do any of what they did for me, but they really took me under their wing and let me become part of their family. So uh, that was always, always been really special and it's definitely helped like me develop into the person I am today. I love how you say that you had only worked with 100 jumper horses and thoroughbreds are so different because I love the analogy that I've been told and it's that the chuck wagon thoroughbreds are really just big chihuahuas because they need so much love and attention and then yes. your other horses are usually like your Doberman or something and they're like meh whatever go away yeah 
Well, I've often joked that, you know, I, I love thoroughbreds and I love border collies. Um, so I love the like high maintenance, super high strung, slightly psychotic animals. So um, I guess that's a little bit where that came from. But yeah, the hunter jumpers were definitely a lot easier to kind of, uh, I wasn't at a very high level, so I didn't really have the caliber of horses that we even had um, in the chuck wagon barn. Uh, but yeah, definitely a steep learning curve there of just, uh, you know, my hunter jumper would easily walk past a post and not be scared of it whereas a thoroughbred will like walk past the stall that he's seen every day and be like whoa what is that so yeah kind of get used to just their sporadicness <laughs> so what let's I guess start with what is your favorite show or what was your favorite show to go to that wasn't Calgary uh so I guess I really liked uh, Rocky Mountain House. I know that kind of came onto the tour later on, um, but Rocky Mountain House was super special because it won the last show of the year. Um, and then just, I love the fact of what Rocky did of uh, really encouraging everybody to get to be together. So throughout the shows, the rest of the year, um, you know, all the camps kind of split apart. Some people go out, some people don't, some people just really stick close to home. Um, and Rocky was really a part where you really got the entire wagon family together. Um, and you know, there's a little bit less pressure because you kind of have an idea who's in the running for the world. Um, so it's kind of, it's, you know, intense still for those guys, but everyone else is just kind of there to, you know, enjoy the wind down of the summer. So I always really liked Rocky. Um, plus the location was amazing. Getting to be really close to the river was always like fun to get to go and spend uh, time with your friends down there. Um, so I have, to, I think I'd have to say Rocky. Um, it's funny, Kaylee and I were actually talking about some of our least favorite places that we used to race at. So um, getting to name the better ones is a lot easier to talk about. So, but no, and I think I'd have to say Rocky. I really like to be more upbeat and try to keep the positives going. I mean, <laughs> there's enough negative in the world. No, that's very interesting about Rocky. And I feel like they kind of tried to create the same sort of feel when it came to Century Downs too. They really tried to create that like very big community and support and positive atmosphere. And so it's very interesting that you got to go to Rocky at a time when it was the last show. It was when they found out who the world was, everything. And now we have this, I guess, last, last show added, which I think just kind of maybe makes Rocky a little more special because it's the last show where there isn't as much pressure except for maybe yeah. the guys that are vying for that top four spot. And then- Yeah. <laughs> and so much of, I find the like favorite places to go race didn't even just come down to the race itself. It came down to everything else about the site. Um, so that's why Rocky was so nice because it just kind of had a laid back attitude. You got to camp really close to the barn. Um, I mean, everyone was still kind of spread out, but um, it was, there was a lot of common places for everyone to go hang out. So like I said, hanging out at the river during the day, you'd catch like so many barn hands and drivers and outriders just kind of enjoying sort of the last little bit of summer as well. And then you, you know, you get to go and race wagons at night. So it was a fun balance there. Um, okay. You talked about stories and interesting stories and the best stories. So let's talk about some of your best travel stories. 
Okay, travel stories. Um, I guess one of my favorite travel stories and what really, um, one of my favorites was when Rick and Sue used to live up in Grand Prairie, um, in between Calgary and Edmonton, which is where we would go at that point, uh, we always used to stop at um, Dallas and Shirley Dorchester's place along the way. Um, and that I think was one of my favorite spots to ever stop because uh, one, we got to go and turn the horses out just after getting, having them stand in the stalls for 10 days. Um, there was actually one year where Rick, Kaylee and I were so exhausted we turned the horses out, lay down in the shade by the liner and just fell asleep like I don't even know for how long probably like five hours like Sue had to come and wake us up because I think there was bugs like crawling over us but we were exhausted um, and then getting to sit around at night and get to hear uh, Rick and Dallas talk about stories and about horses and just about everything that went on, you know, before I ever got to be involved in wagon racing and getting to hear those stories. Um, that was always a really really special place to get to go um, and I really appreciated that you know Dallas and Shirley always invited me into their house as well and fed me and even though they made me work which I was totally fine with um, but that was definitely like one of my favorite travel places in between. Um, I guess one good road story I would share is we were driving up to very sure we we're driving up to Dawson and uh, Kaylee and I were following Rick um, so Kaylee and I were in uh, truck with the horse trailer and Rick was ahead with the liner um, and behind the liner he was pulling the wagon trailer along with our bobcat that was full of hay and Kaylee and I are following behind him and it was always you know follow behind Rick in case something happens we were there to help with the horses or to let him know if something was going on with the truck so anyway we're driving along behind him and all of a sudden the tailgate breaks on the bobcat and is swinging in front of us as we're driving behind him um, so we're trying to call him. So Keely's trying to call him. I'm trying to call him. Keely's calling him. We're just like back and forth, back and forth. And he's not answering our phone. And we're like, well, what are you doing? Like, this is the reason we're here is like to help you out. Finally, after about five minutes, he gets off the phone and is just like, what are you girls doing? And we're like, the tailgate is falling off the bobcat. Why didn't you tell me sooner? We get our response back. So, uh, yeah. So that was always a fond memory of getting to travel, travel with Rick. We always had a little bit of an adventure somewhere along the road there. So, uh, so yeah, that was that was definitely a, a fond memory of traveling uh, with Rick and Sue. <laughs> I could imagine that. I could. <laughs> you don't have to imagine. It actually happened. So. <laughs> Uh, it was always an adventure going from show to show but that's always you know what kind of made the summer extra fun because you never really knew exactly what was going to happen next <laughs> I love it now did you ever get out onto you know carnival part of you know the different shows did you ever get to go try the crazy food or stuff like that uh not really I uh, wasn't really a big carnival person however Keely and I did have a tradition that every Calgary Stampede we went over to the um it was a big four the Roundup Center and there was like specialty um candied apples so we get a candy apple that was covered in caramel rolled in rice crispy squares and then covered with chocolate and marshmallows so that was always our signature during um during calgary was to go there one day throughout the show um and get that but that was about it for adventurous Did snacks for me. after that no thinking no, about it all the sugar it was, it was healthy though you had an apple mixed in there <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess that's the same excuse I make for the corn dogs and I say it's cornmeal so it's healthy for yeah yeah exactly 
That's whatever you tell your brain. <laughs> Corn dogs are good for you, aren't they? Oh, totally. I mean, I got the pickle dog. Well, actually, I've gotten the pickle dog the past three years in a row at the Stampede, but, you know, I'll take all the judgment for that. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's all <funny>. good. <laughs> it's a hot dog in a pickle in cornmeal, and then you put mustard on top. Like, there's nothing wrong with that combination. I'll take your word for that. <laughs> <laughs> Candace is like, Cass, I'm not trying that. No. <laughs> I'm not um, a pickle person to begin with, so that's probably why. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. So, okay, let's talk about kind of the difference between shows because there's a very big difference between most shows on the WPCA tour or going to the Calgary Stampede because I guess most shows, well, they're not laid back. They're a little more laid back. But those 10 days during Calgary, you don't really get to breathe, if that makes sense. <laughs> so yeah. talk about that and kind of like, I guess you got to see quite the evolution of it from being a sponsor's kid to then being a bar in hand to then basically being a family member. Yeah, um, I think like when I used to just kind of show up at shows with um, like just to go watch the races or to see like kind of whatever my parents were doing, it was pretty laid back. Um, and then I really got into going down the tour once I kind of already knew um, the Frasers. So, uh, so mom would, um, always have to be kind of in the infield because she was uh, giving away a trip um, for uh, when she was with WestJet. Um, and so we, the biggest part there was like to go and be like the sponsor's daughter to make sure that my mom's sign for WestJet looked really good in the infield. So if for whatever reason I was going over to like before the races to check something, my mom would always be like, make sure my WestJet sign looks good or where is it or be sure it's there. Um, so still trying to like think about the horses but also helping my mom out to be sure that that all looked good. Um, and then I think one of the coolest evolutions of watching other races and I'll give my dad a shout out for this is when we first started, you didn't see WPCA merchandise in the stands. Like you didn't see people wearing a brand. Um, and I think that was definitely something that my dad really brought to the smaller shows is now you see people wearing WPCA sweatshirts and the sweatpants and t-shirts. I've even seen them um, like people wearing the jackets, riding the bus to go downtown Calgary when I was working there. Um, so it's really cool to, I mean, you kind of see it say with like a hockey team and you see flames branding everywhere. And it was really awesome to get to see like a sport that you care so much about getting to be branded in, you know, not just the uh, intimate chuck wagon family um so i think that was one a really cool thing just to see the differences of the evolutions of shows there is to see that uh you know we really do have fans and it's kind of spreading out um and really cool to see that you know that my dad was one of the people that really got to bring that so um yeah from kind of the sponsor side there i'll kind of say that of the evolution of shows i really like that and i love the fact that we are starting to get to that point where you know, some drivers are getting their own apparel. So you're not only seeing the stuff from your dad, which is all the WPCA stuff, but you're also now seeing the drivers who are now starting to realize, oh, hey, we're a brand like a hockey or a football team and exactly people show up in our gear and like share us on. And I really love that evolution of the sport. Yeah. Part of me thinks maybe we can do a little more with it, but I think sure. Western sports as a whole could do a little more with that sort of thing, because even looking at the NFR right now, you look in that crowd, you see NFR stuff. You don't see, for example, with the 
breakaway roping, you're not going to see t-shirts with Madison McDonald Thomas on it. You're going to see yeah. t-shirts with NFR Texas on it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I but think- But I mean, there's some rodeo people, like let's say Fallon Taylor, for example, who's like totally revamped like her own brand and isn't making it a Fallon Taylor brand, but like the ranch dressing and really, I think bringing a different style to barrel racing, which I think is something that uh, hope that the wagon drivers will kind of jump on board of too, because like you're ultimately selling your own business, your brand, even if it's your name, just kind of for a wagon racing. Um, I Sue, for example, I have, I can't even tell you how many team 23 Rick Fraser t-shirts that I have. Cause I swear, like if I showed up at a show and didn't have one, she was like throwing one on me to go when we were taking out riding horses over. Um, so she was definitely a big promoter of getting that brand out there. Like they were giving away t-shirts and sweatshirts to anyone that was walking by and then it was really cool to like be able to look up in the stands and see a bunch of little kids wearing like team 23 t-shirts and it did it really just helped get their brand out there um, and I think if you make it accessible to a lot of people you don't realize how deep your fan base can really be until you start seeing them wearing your merchandise that's what I love about you know Sue and Rick's marketing was it wasn't so much Rick Fraser it was team 23 it was very big on that team aspect. And I think that's maybe why they did so well. And I think there's other teams that are doing the sort of thing, the same sort of thing, but we can grow on it. We can grasp at it. We can, we can build on it. I mean, in say, just like barrel racing, for example, there are strictly horses that people cheer for because of the sire. Yeah. And I mean, that's going to be a very big thing. And then there's also like, I mean, a big thing in when you look at like bull riding is most of those guys support the Ty Pazabon Foundation. That in itself has become a brand. That in itself has yeah. become a thing that guys support and they go to and they drive towards because they connect with it, they relate with it, they bring it out. And I think that's what branding really has become is you're trying to bring it out. You're trying to connect with your viewer, with your friend, sponsor, whoever you're wanting to connect with. So yeah. that to me, that's a tangent that I always go on. And I was just looking up the name of the horse that I was thinking of and I can't find it and it's driving me insane. Um, I'll find it eventually. It's uh fair guy. I don't know if you thought, know that name. It's uh, it's a sire from up north that um has become really big and but oh. I think that's one part I had always hoped that you know we could each driver could say put a horse forward that was like their favorite on their team. So then all of a sudden you could kind of start to connect, you know, with Rick Fraser with Nickel, like he is Nickel on the lead tonight, and you could kind of get a little bit of fan base there with the horses because everyone like the vast majority of people that come out like they want to see the exciting sport because it's horse racing because you're getting to see like that horsepower involved with it so I think um you know getting to add in the like equine um outfit of excellence I think that was amazing and it's such like a positive advancement for the sport because it really got to have people connect with the horses that were involved who are the true athletes out there and it also got to give the drivers a sense because we're always so proud of those horses and we know what they really get to do so then when you get to see them like 
be kind of acknowledged amongst their peers, let's say, um, and, you know, say that this horse has more points than this horse because they've won more races or anything like that. And you just kind of just get to see the highlights that those horses got to have throughout the year. Um, I think that really got to it was a huge advancement for the sport. Um, and I think it was really great for the drivers to get to see some recognition of their own horses. That's a perfect segue into, I guess, my kind of favorite conversation. Um, so Jason and I started asking this question at the very beginning of the podcast, and it was, who's your all-star MVP? And we always reference Logan Gore's uh, Canadian Idol. If we ever make money off this thing, we're going to owe Logan like so much royalties for that. It's not going to even be funny. Um, but it's that horse that like you bonded with, you connected with, you had just so many fond memories of that if he retired and you could take him and make it so that he was your lawn ornament, like you wouldn't let him go. Do you have any horses or do you have one horse that's like that? So I kind of have two that I'll talk about. Um, so when I first became part of the uh, Rick Fraser barn, um, they had a horse. He was a wagon horse at the time. His name was Blackjack. Um, so he was black <laughs> and just like the most handsome, rugged kind of true like cowboy horse there was. You couldn't brush him because he hated being brushed. If you tried to like brush his mane, he would try and bite you. Um, but he did his job very, very well. Um, and then once uh, Rick kind of moved him off the wagon into the outriding pen, um, and that was at a time where I was really involved just with the outriding horses then and would always take outriding horses over. So Blackjack was always my favorite horse to ride. Um, and he would like pin his ears back and be so unimpressed and like stomp his feet when you were getting on him. And then we would always leave the barn first to get to the races. And I would always show up very last because that black horse knew that he was hot shit and would strut to the races. And if there was any person who stopped to point at him or acknowledge him, I could have kicked him in the ribs as hard as possible. And that horse wasn't going anywhere. He knew that he looked good and he did his job amazingly well. Um, so I have a lot of uh, really fond memories of Blackjack. Um, and then I guess my last horse um, in Rick's barn would be, uh, so his name was First Law. We just called him Law. Um, I think Rick got him in like 2012-ish. Um, and he was one of the champion horses on Rick's outfit. So he ran uh, primarily on the right wheel. Uh, he won the Equine Outfit of Excellence in Calgary and the WPCA in the same year. Um, he was just a powerhouse. Uh, every time he started so hard, um, regardless um, of who was hooked with him. And uh, he was, is a jerk. Um, so he's very particular <laughs> in how he likes things done. He likes his job. Trying to walk him out, you have to put a stud chain on him because he thinks he's a stud. Um, but uh, I've always had a really soft spot for that horse just the minute that he showed up at Rick's place. And even though Rick told me that he was a jerk, I was like, but I love him. Um, and uh, so he actually didn't go up for sale in the auction when Rick sold out because um, he'd actually been injured earlier in the year and so I've been really worried about where Law was going to go um, so I was really really happy when Rick told me that Troy Dorchester actually bought Law um, so last year when I went down to the barns during Calgary uh, getting to go into Troy and Jen's barn and getting to go see him and this is so this is one of my favorite horses and this is the acknowledgement that I got I said his name he stuck his head out of the stall looked at me 
And then when I went into a stall to pet him, he at least didn't immediately turn his butt towards me to like get me out of a stall. So it was a, you know, true love between both of us. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that was like one of the special moments of getting to know that, you know, even though he wasn't part of Rick's barn, he was still part of a barn that I could go and visit and see him and just kind of see like how his career uh, ends up. Cause uh, yeah, he had a really special place in my heart. You really do like the high strung troubled horses from what you're telling me. Yes. <laughs> I feel like you should go into Dayton's barn. You, you might find a few in there you like. <laughs> yeah, apparently I have a type. <laughs> you know that's funny because some of those some of those horses that like cause you a little bit more of you know annoyance or you know get on your nerves a little more those are the horses that perform the best and they bring the most out of their team and they're the horses that you know they know their job they're gonna do it they're gonna give you all they have and that was those two boys like every time that they were going to the track they knew their job they loved their job they were so excited to get out there and do their job and you know then they were just lucky enough to like that we that we that they let us tolerate them afterwards <laughs> but um but yeah um i think that's a, one of the big parts that i really learned um, i always had a great appreciation for horses um but getting to be so involved with the race horses you really get to realize how much they love their job how much everyone around them loves them um and they perform because they know that they're well loved and they love and the only thing they have to worry about is going out to do their job um because they know when they come back even if it was uh you know a horrible night on the track we're still gonna love them and feed them and take care of them regardless of what happened out there because yeah, they really are members of the family. It's funny, I actually just did an interview last week and some one of the interviewers asked me, what's so special about check wagon racing? And they asked, what's the difference between check wagon racing and say barrel racing? Because it was with a barrel racing podcast. And to me, I think the biggest thing is it's always a team. No matter what you do, you're always going to have that team atmosphere. And it's it's not one horse. It's four horses and they need to be able to work together. And it's it truly is like the Western hockey. It, it, it's, yeah. it's the Western sports version of hockey. Like that is what it is. Because at the end of the day, you can have one really bad defenseman and he's going to cost you a game. Or you can have one really bad outrider and he's going to cost you a race. But when yeah. everything works together and meshes and they love their job and they want to do it, that's when you get those amazing horses and those amazing outfits. Yeah. And it comes down to two of everybody that's looking after them in the barns, so like relating it to a hockey team. Like you want to be having a good coach. You want to be having a good trainer. You want to be having people that, you know, if an ego needs to be stroked and someone needs to be told that they're doing a good job and they're the best in the world. Someone needs to be there to like be telling those horses that or that driver that or that outrider that um, just to ensure that, you know, the whole team really is getting what they really want or what they really need in order to perform optimally. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's such a unique sport. And I think it's one that you really have to be in it to understand it. You can't, you, you can't watch it once and think that you know it. You need to spend a week, spend a week around it and you won't even know a quarter of it. Yeah, it was funny because uh, so when I first um, started to get involved with uh, the Fraser Barn, 
um, I was working at a vet clinic and uh, my boss, the vet that I worked with at the time, he always took Stampede off. So he just always wanted to go out of town. Um, so I just conveniently took it off as well so that I could always work in the barns. And it was always an ongoing joke because people would be like, oh, you're taking your Stampede vacation. What are you doing? And it's really awkward to say like, oh, you know, I'm helping out like my best friend's dad in the chuck wagon bar. And so I used to just say my uncle because it was easier. I'm like, I'm helping my uncle. He's a chuck wagon driver. And it's like kind of become like an ongoing joke now because I'm closer with Rick than I am with some of my actual uncles. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, just it, it kind of did become a transition into like being a little bit more into like a family involvement there too when, uh, when even people that are outside of the sport um, started to kind of realize how involved I was with it. Um, I, work, I work for an oil and gas company now well, for the last seven years now I've been oil, in oil and gas and uh, our stampede party would always be to go and watch the rodeo. And it was a joke because a bunch of the guys or like my coworkers would be like, oh, I want to sit beside Candace when we're watching the rodeo so that she can tell us what's actually going on. So you could kind of give them an appreciation for like city people that haven't gotten to be exposed to animals a lot and being like, why do they do this? Or what does this mean? Or like, what's happening there? Or, like how, why did that happen? Um, and getting to just like educate those small people that, you know, didn't really have an opinion say about rodeo or chuck wagons and give them a little bit more of an insight into what's actually happening. And then you, I would hear those people the next year, you know, giving new people advice about like, no, this is why they do that. And so, you know, kind of giving back a little bit to the sport that's given a lot to me um, and hopefully getting to have, you know, more people just really start to appreciate um, the animals and uh, the care and everything that goes into the sports of like rodeo and chuck wagon racing. I love that. I love that you had that opportunity and it... I think it's so special to have those conversations to teach people about the sport because like it's a Western Canadian special. You're not going to see it if you're from out East, you're not going to understand it. And I mean, I have a friend who's now a reporter up in Grand Prairie and every time he does a story on the chuck wagons, usually he texts me and he's like, what am I reporting on? <laughs> what is actually happening? Yeah, what does this so mean? So I have to, like, I've told him, I'm like, Kate, send me your articles so I can vet them just so the right information's getting out there. Yeah. And it's funny. We did that in 2019 because Luke won Grand Prairie and then he wrote the story and he's like, okay, can you read this? Just to make sure I got it right. And it was funny because he's like, he wrote something and I can't remember if he switched the aggregate, the aggregate or the, like, he switched something around okay, in, yeah. the, in the article. And I was like, nope, don't do that. Please stop. Nope. Stop. And uh, then we fixed it. And it's, he actually now is like a really good writer about the wagons, but that's because we've spent now two years breaking it down, talking about it. He would write something about the team and he goes, the horses. And I went, no, no, they're the equine athletes. <laughs> Do not call them the horses because that just doesn't work. Um, so I love the fact that you were able to do a very similar thing within the oil and gas world. Yeah. 
because yeah lots of them really had no idea what was going on out there so um so yeah and I just think like if you can give people a little bit of like the right information of what's going on or how how the animals are treated um then you're they're going to tell another group of people the right information so you know those rumors aren't getting out there that anything's being mistreated um and you know that these animals actually love their job that's why they're doing it so well and that's why they're competing at the calgary stampede um so then instead of kind of the bad press uh they have a little bit of power to be able to not not read into it i also think that like I've always said, give, if you gave people who want to learn the opportunity and let them just come down to the barns and see, they'd see what's actually happening. Yeah. But then on the flip side, there's the people who don't want to learn. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's a catch point too. And that's been a really uh, powerful part, I think, from um, from watching the Mavericks give like barn tours. So my dad, that was one of his favorite things to do during the stampede was go to uh, usually one of their drivers. One of the Mavericks would take whoever they were hosting that night down to one of the driver's barns. And um, lots of the people that come down to the barns, like they're friends of a sponsor or they're part of a sponsorship. And maybe they don't know anything about chuck wagon racing except for the 10 days of the Calgary stampede. So for them to get to go and like be in a barn and and get to see the driver and see the crew taking care of the horses and like how the horses are acting and getting to hear stories of a certain horse in the barn um, or who's going that night so they can kind of you know have someone to cheer on. Um, I think it really helps to have um, people have a little bit more of a personal involvement in the sport. Um, so I think having you know sponsors that are bringing people back to the barns and actively getting to be in the barns and seeing the horses and seeing the care that they receive in the fam and getting to chat with the families that care for them so much. I think that's just an even, uh, you know, better progression for the sport um, because now all of a sudden you're building more fans and you're building people that, you know, actually got to say like, no, no, like I was down at those barns. Like I saw how those horses were treated. Like they were eating better than I do. And you know, those horses look better than most of the family members. Like they got a bath that day. Maybe the family, the barn crew didn't get a shower that day sort of thing. Um, and just gives you a better appreciation to how much care goes into the horses it's funny because the in 2019 I got the opportunity to go hang out with the Mavericks driver who was Chris <laughs> Molly and yeah. uh Chris was uh I did an interview with him that year and I spent a, pretty much an entire day with him and he was probably the best ambassador that that day that anyone could have asked for because he showed you everything and then he hung out with you and uh, they let me have a snack and like everything. But then you're watching and I mean, their barn hand somehow broke her arm. I think she got kicked. <laughs> but she, it's not like she sat around and was like, oh, I broke my arm. I can't do anything. You know, she was in there and she was sweeping up the floor and she was making sure it was pretty. And like, it, it truly is a hard working community. Yeah. It definitely is. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you rise or get up early, early, and your first priority is always looking after the horses. Um, and then hopefully you get fed. Well, we always get fed. <laughs> Sue always fed us there. That was never an issue in our barn. I think in those summers where I was like, oh, you know, I should probably like lose some weight and like get in shape. Oh, Susie put a stop to that with like popcorn and her breakfast sandwiches. But uh I'll forgive her for that. 
Let's talk about those breakfast sandwiches, because according to her, they were pretty hot commodities. So uh, what, what, what were those like? I, I want to hear those from you. Um, Susie's breakfast sandwiches are amazing. Um, she also conveniently always had a way of making them on days that you really didn't want to get out of bed. Um, but we'd get quite excited when you'd see like the groceries come in and she would have the cheese buns and you were like, oh, like we're getting breakfast sandwiches this week. Like it, it's happening. Um, and yeah, for whatever reason, we usually always had a couple extra people show up for breakfast those days too. So, uh, they were quite, quite the hot commodity. Um, but yeah, it was always nice having like, you know, you work really hard in the barn and then you get to go back and, you know, tell a couple of stories of what happened the night before and then get an amazing, greasy, cheesy egg sandwich before you went for your morning nap. It was priceless. <laughs> I'm sure that egg sandwich kind of caused part of the nap. <laughs> Potentially. Potentially. <laughs> um. So I guess kind of let's go a little more into how being a part of the wagons has helped you in your life, because you kind of have taken a little bit of a different path, uh, and it might be a little bit of a cheaper path, but uh, you've gone from thoroughbreds into, as you said, border collies, and you now are a part of the competitive dog world. So let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, yeah, so um, I got hurt when I was 14 in a horse incident. Um, and so kind of after that, I got out of horses just on my own um, and I had a dog. So it was like, well, what, what can you do? What can I kind of get into with you? Um, so that's kind of skyrocketed me into uh, dog agility. Um, so I've been competing in dog agility since I was 12 years old. Um, and then just these last couple of years, I've gotten into um, actually probably when I graduated, once I graduated from university for the second time, um, then I got into kind of international competition. So um, I have a three-year-old uh, red tri-border collie. Her name is Fox. Um, so we were actually um, chosen to be a wild card for uh, WAO competition in 2020. Um, so that's World Agility Organization. So we were supposed to go to Amsterdam in May. And unfortunately, due to COVID, that competition got canceled. Um, but we have an invite back for hopefully 2021. Um, so there's a lot of comparisons between dogs and horses, um, a lot of just like your mental game. Um, so a lot of my mental game, which I've never actually told him this, but actually came from Rick. Um, after we kind of went through a couple of rough Calgary's um, and Rick really like took it upon himself with a little bit of coaching um, to really try to figure out like what's going on in your head when you're gearing up for these big events. And so um, after Rick did it, I like, had just kind of sat down and really watched and talked with him about what he did and like how you got your mind into, you know, being stressed about going into for a race to being able to dance to Taylor Swift before he was going on to like the track at the Calgary Stampede. Um, and so I've tried to take a lot of that away into my mental game too when I'm going in with my dogs, um, just so that, you know, I can be the best handler for them. Um, I can have my dogs in the best possible shape. They can be trained and have all the skills to be able to do any course possible. But if I'm not up on my game, um, I'm not the, I'm, I'm the weakest link in the team. Um, so really getting to see kind of everything that Rick changed, not just in himself, but in the whole crew around him um, really is 
been a takeaway for me to up my game um, and be a better handler for not only myself, but even just the people around me too. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's kind of been my switch now from not being into chuck wagons and hopefully getting more into uh, international dog agility. That's really cool though. And it, it's, it's probably just as much work in some senses as the wagons is, but you had that experience already of what you get out of hard work. Yeah, and a lot of it, like hard work, uh, I think another big part that I learned from the wagon racing, um, and like Kaylee was a big help with it, was, um, you know, when you're training and your animal's not performing the way you think they are. So sometimes is it training? Like, do they not understand the job that you're asking them to do? Or are they physically not able to do the job that you're asking them to do? So, you know, if you're having a really good lead horse and he's just not turning the way he usually did, or I'm looking at my dogs and they're, you know, they're not extending or they're not jumping the way that they used to be, then instead of just being like, oh, that's a bad dog, that's a bad horse, they don't want to do their job anymore. Like taking it back to, are they physically just not able to do what I'm asking them to do? Um, so, uh, you know, we had a whole body worker team on, with the horses. I have a whole body worker team with my dogs to be sure that they're in the best possible shapes when I'm asking them to perform. Um, so that was another big takeaway that I took from Chuck Wagons is, uh, is just the actual care of your athletes, um, because that's ultimately what they are. So uh, we're going to be trying to our our trying to um, keep them at the top of their game, we need to be sure that we're keeping their minds and bodies in the best physical shape possible too. And, you know, it's interesting because like going back to my hockey reference, if you look at any professional hockey team, the amount of people that are in the support team of that team is redonkulous. Like, yeah, (laughs) there's a lot of people in that room. Um, Mm But when you look at like wagons or even dogs, like really there's not extra people on that team. There's the owners, the trainers, the family. So you become what in a human world would be a 10, 15 person job, maybe one to five people. Yeah. But I think that's also one of the big reasons why, you know, Rick made team 23 was he was really aware that you know, he was, you know, his name's the one that gets announced at night, but he also really realized that it was everyone back at the barn that was putting all that work into those horses that also needed to be recognized, or just the friends that, you know, would bring dinner one night, or, you know, take your laundry because you were so busy one night, like you slept in the barn, and so you didn't have any clean clothes, and so someone would just, you know, step up and help you out, um, to taking care of the horses, like, the amount of time Kaylee and I had got up early to look after horses or slept in the barn because we had a sick horse or just the, just the sheer amount of time that you would have to spend in the barn. Like I used to, um, when Rick and Sue would be coming from Pinoka, I would sometimes come and meet them before I had to go to work the next day so I could help them unload and help to take care of the horses once they actually moved into the stampede to be sure that everyone was, you know, hydrated and was doing well before I was going to work the next day. Um, And he really appreciated and he knew what everyone else was sacrificing for him to do his dream and for us to all be supportive of that. And I wouldn't give up a single one of those days for anything. Um, But he was also really good at 
pay, paying it back to us in the way of helping us have recognition for any of his successes. And I, that that's truly an amazing trait. And I love that. It's, it's so special and it's, it's very unique. And it's also very, it's, I think it's very special that you would take that time from the Pinocchio to Calgary shift, because sometimes that can be a really quick turnaround. Like oh, yeah. just looking at this year, it was going to be two days, not even. It, there, there was a two day turnaround for the WPCA from Pinocchio to Calgary. So I think that's a very special relationship that you had and you were able to do. Yeah, no, it was, it was very special. Um, it, uh, I think also too, like going back to, you know, if Rick ever wanted to show, he was always so appreciative of every, of all the work that we would do. He would usually take us up for dinner or have something brought in, something special for us. Um, and then I can't remember what year it is and he'll be really unimpressed. Um, but the year that Cody won Dawson on the WCA. Um, <laughs> and uh, I had been up in Dawson for that. And, uh, you know, Cody wins the show. We're back at the barns. We've taken care of the horses. And Rick looks at Cody and he goes, so what are you going to do with your barn crew that helped you win the show? Cody's like, well, I guess I'll take them for dinner. He took us to McDonald's, which was fine. But uh, he like still just kind of like learning from his dad, like giving that extra appreciation to your crew for helping you get there. Even if it was McDonald's, it was it was still it was still special. <laughs> Hey, there's nothing with chicken nuggets. Nothing wrong there. That's what I had. So yeah, it was extra special. <laughs> well, McDonald's definitely has a big part to play in the summer, I feel. <laughs> McDonald's and Subway. Quick as a lot of that. God, you can't forget Tim's Hort Tim Hortons though. Oh yeah. There, there's a lot of Tim Hortons, I feel, that's drank during the summer too. Yes. Yeah. No, we would usually, um, there'd be mornings where Kaylee and I in Pinocchio, we would go and feed oats in the morning for Rick. Um, and then we would uh, go to Tim Hortons and do a drive through and get like the biggest thing of Timbits and a big thing of coffee. Um, and for whatever reason, we always had extra people show up to like eat the Timbits during morning chores, but they ate the Timbits, but didn't help with chores, but it's okay. Got to have the crowd around you. Be the popular barn. <laughs> I feel like that keeps me this like reoccurring theme where there's extra people when there's food around. Oh yeah. <laughs> Sue definitely had a way of bringing that out in people, but it was good. <laughs> so I'm going to kind of change around my Venus versus Mars game. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to call it Kaylee versus Candace. Oh no. <laughs> okay. She'll forgive me. I'm sure she will. I'm working on her website. She has to forgive me. <laughs> I have control. <laughs> I've done a lot of bad things. She's always forgiven me. So, <laughs> um, so I'm going to ask a question and you've heard the show. So, you know, I usually ask, is it this person or this person? But since you and Kaylee are best friends, we're going to, you're going to answer to me if it's you or Kaylee. And if you want, you can also throw Cody and Amy under the bus and throw them in there too. Totally up to you. Okay. Okay, so we're gonna start with the first question, which is if Sue wasn't cooking, who would you trust to cook the meal? Takeout. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if takeout wasn't an option. <laughs> um, I'll say me. Okay. It might not be edible, but I think that would be a, I think I would stand up to that challenge because I think everyone else would just revert to going out. <laughs> 
I mean, I'm, I'm talking a world where like takeouts not allowed, like everything shut down, COVID, but you can race. See, that sort of thing. Mm. I think we might still starve, but I'll, I'll say me. I'll I'll take that one. <laughs> All right. Uh, who stayed up the latest during the summers? In in what capacity? <laughs> who is the last one to go to bed? Usually. Oh, that could be any of us. That's a hard one. Um, I think like horse wise, I would say like Kaylee and I were pretty equivalent there. Um, we had an ongoing joke with Rick that even after, regardless of what time we got home from the bar, we always went and checked the horses. Sometimes they were unimpressed that I was like in their stall with my phone trying to see if they had water in their bucket, but I was always there. Um, so yeah, that used to be our signature. Kaylee and I would always check the horses. So I'll say it's a tie between us. Okay. They were unimpressed with your phone. <laughs> uh, again, going back to that high maintenance thing. Uh, <laughs> All right. Who was more of the practical jokester on the tour? Oh, Rick. I'm throwing Rick in there. <laughs> throwing Rick in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He would always have some kind of like little joke or word game to like try and get you. But uh, yeah, he had a lot of fun practical jokes that we would play. <laughs> oh, that's always fun. That's always yeah. fun. All right. Who was the most responsible? Oh, me. <laughs> Totally. Not even giving an explanation for that. Definitely Candace. That, that, that's okay. We can go with that. <laughs> we can totally go with that. Who would get the most rowdy? Oh, Kaylee. <laughs> All right. Final question. Who was the better driver? Kaylee. <laughs> there you go. You got, you got two positives there, Kaylee. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. I love that. Yeah. So, okay, I guess let's talk a little bit about uh, your dad's merchandising truck, more in the sense of how did that come to be? And have you been a part of that at all? Um, oh, it was going to be, I had messaged them beforehand and I was like, you guys need to tell me dates as to when these happen. Cause I actually don't remember how long he's been doing the merchandise trailer for. Um, but uh, yeah, he's done for quite a few years now. I can't actually remember, so he'll be unimpressed with that. Um, and <laughs> I, I didn't really get to take an active role in, um, in the merchandise trailer because I was busy with work or school. Um, but he did joke that if he sent an item, like if he sent two items and he'd be like, do you like A or B? And if I said A, he's like, okay, well, I'm getting B because it'll sell a lot better. So apparently like I was whatever I liked, the opposite did really well. Um, but uh, I did always love getting to wear my dad's merchandise. So that's um, always been a, a plus. It's also been very helpful if it was ever like cold out and you needed an extra hoodie, there was a convenient place to go to get one. And he could never say no to me, even though sometimes I ended up with a bill afterwards, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, I think it was a, you know, a great thing. Like we kind of talked about earlier about how getting that brand out there, but uh, no, I haven't had too much of an involvement in um, the merchandise trailer aside from wearing, wearing the items. Um, and every once in a while getting wrangled into helping him set up in the summer or in the spring. But luckily my mom's usually taken on that role a little bit more. So I usually just try to avoid going over there May long weekend. <laughs> uh, that is awesome. <laughs> it's funny. I'm wearing my WPCA sweatpants as we talk. So I mean, excellent. Yeah, I have a few pairs of those. So yeah, They're pretty comfy. I was very sad mm -hmm. that he told me he was discontinuing them. I was like, what the heck? 
Yeah, they'll come back probably in a couple of years. That's, I think, his biggest thing is, you know, when you have such a small fan base to pull from, you need to keep having new things coming up. And I know my dad was always like, he takes a lot of pride in the fact that you are getting good quality items coming out of the merchandise trailer. So you're not just going to get a sweatshirt that you're going to wear for, you know, two days and it's going to be done. Like I have WPCA sweatshirts and Maverick sweatshirts from years that I have worn into the barn and have been very, very durable. Um, so I know he takes a lot of pride in everything that he puts in there. And, uh, and, you know, it's been really helpful for everyone who's been so supportive of him. Uh, me and him had a little bit of a joke when I went and saw him this summer, just to kind of see what was in the merchandise trailer. Uh, Cause he shot, showed me the Kurt Benz Miller watch. Oh, and, yes. and we joked that uh, for another driver to get a watch, they have to win as many world championships as Kurt has. And then, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then I asked, so what's next if uh, Kurt wins another year? And he said, well, I guess we're going for the belt buckle next. <laughs> <laughs> Just got to keep up in it every year. Kurt's got a really awesome fan base. I'm sure there'll be some people that would be happy to have a Kurt, a Kurt uh, belt buckle. <laughs> that watch was pretty though. Like I was, the watch was gorgeous. Yeah. I was pretty in love with the watch. If I had the extra hundred dollars, I would, I, I would buy the watch. I'd be proud to buy yeah. the watch. Yeah. It's pretty nice. Um, okay. So this is more just a question. Me and you have kind of talked about this before, but how much of a role do you think social media now plays in the business world. You kind of, you deal with oil and gas, so you understand kind of the way social media affects oil and gas a little bit. And then it's also a very unique thing when it comes to Western sports. So let's talk about that just a little bit, because I think you have a very unique perspective, having been a barn hand in the oil and gas industry, and also your dad does the merchandising thing, so it's a little more, you have a broader look, but you're like me, you're on the outside looking in. Yeah, um, I mean, I think social media has a lot of advantages. Um, I think it's really helped to put into perspective for people to kind of see like what goes on day to day kind of in the sporting world. So as a driver, if you have your own Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, and just kind of getting, you know, those followers or people that are fans to see what goes on in your day to day, which um, I think is something that social media has kind of really pushed forward is, you know, you have influencers that you're getting to see kind of what they're wearing or what they're doing. Um, and, uh, and I think that can help to kind of change the image of what some of the Western sports are. So, um, I mean, we do a lot of it in oil and gas about how, you know, here was this oil sands facility that, you know, was open pit mining, you know, it looked like the, surface of the earth was ripped off previously and now you have these lush gorgeous fields where like caribou and bison are like wreaking almost havoc now because they're in such like a great um environment again so that whole reclamation um kind of side of oil and gas um which i think is something that social media can do for your western sports as well I mean, I think, you know, it's really easy for someone to put up a post that has a lot of negative connotation, but then if all of a sudden you see, you know, 20, 30 drivers who are posting something opposite and you're getting to see that daily, that that's got an active part of their lifestyle. Um, I think the social media can definitely help to, you know, sway people into having a different opinion. Um, I think Sue is also really great. And I know there's a couple other drivers, wives who are kind of starting it, but doing the blog um, and just kind of having an idea of, 
you know, this is what it's really like going down the road. Um, and this is, you know, the common things that happen with our horses, or these are common things that happen in our day. Um, and then it just doesn't, you don't just see a driver out on the track for, you know, a minute and 15 seconds, you kind of get to have a little bit more involvement with everything that goes on behind the barns and how they even got to the stampede. Um, so I think that social media used in the correct ways and um, having, you know, that really positive influence, I think can definitely be something to better the sport. It's funny because I was having a conversation again with that podcast that will probably come out after this. Um, but they were saying that like, it was three um it was three barrel racers but they said that they'd like to like be able to interact with the drivers more and unfortunately that's something that i think we lose in the sport because i mean kurt and uh i think chance even mentioned it on after the ninth we're not in a sport where you know they can get off the track they can just hand their horses off to someone and then they can go out on to the tarmac and they can meet and greet and shake hands and kiss babies and all that fun stuff we're in a sport where they come off the track but their first thing is okay i've stopped the horses i'm out of the box now i'm going to deal with my horses i'm going to make sure that everything is okay and i mean if they're not doing that then they're like dating where they're handing it to their barn hands who they trust and they're going straight to racing again. Like they're going to be an outrider. So yeah. I feel like our social media is that way of bridging that gap. Oh, completely. But it's yeah. just finding the right way to do that. Yeah. And I think so much, like I know shows will do the autograph sessions and I think the autograph sessions are great. Like if you think of like a little kid getting to go and get an autograph um, from hockey players, like it's amazing. The problem with our sport is, you know, it's so sporadic and, you know, one day you can be like, yeah, like I have no problem on Sunday being there at 10 o'clock. And then all of a sudden, you know, you had a horse get hurt the night before and you have to go to the vet or you're waiting for a vet to come in or something else pops up that, you know, we have a, you have 25, you know, toddlers that you're pretty much looking after going down the road that anything can happen. So it makes it a little bit more difficult for some of those commitments to come out. Um, so I think that's where the social media can kind of really take hold a bit more. Um, and I think just teaching drivers how to be a little bit more, you know, tech savvy and to be, you know, talking and showing things of what goes on in day to day. And, you know, the things that are so routine to us, like, you know, mixing feed can be just so mind-blowing to someone who doesn't realize like how much thoroughbreds actually eat or how much food we actually have to feed them and kind of giving them some of those tips just to have a little bit more appreciation to what actually goes into like the equine athletes and what goes into the barn um i think would be you know a huge advantage to to the sport yeah i love that i i don't think i could say it better and that that's the thing right is you can't unfortunately this sport is it's all about the horses at the end of the day, we can blow up a driver's name, but the driver's nothing without a good horse. Yeah. I think that's where it's a very unique sport because like going back to barrel racing or breakaway roping or, you know, tie down roping or anything like that. Yeah, you know the names, but they also have a really good horse that got them there. However, with check wagon racing, you have 25 horses that if you lost one, you're back to the drawing board, revamping your roster, figuring out your lines. Yeah. I'm very yeah. big into comparing hockey and check wagon racing, because if you look at any of our guys, most of them played hockey at some point in time. Yeah. 
Well, and it's a good analogy too, because I really, I think that's the one big difference between say chuck wagons compared to barrel racing is that, you know, we have so many horses that, and because it is a team, um, you know, for, so for a barrel racer, like if you're, you know, string one horse gets hurt, that's awful, but you kind of, you still have a horse that you can go and compete with if you have a backup, like you're always kind of having a backup so you can continue to run. But you know, if you only have one good right leader in your barn and they get hurt, like, how are you supposed to continue racing that show? And, you know, it's, we can't just be like, oh, well, you know, I'll take a week off and we'll spend some time and we'll, you know, get this horse kind of up and ready. Like you're racing the next day and then you're going, you know, down to the, the next show the following weekend you don't really have like that training time in between to say bring something up to the same caliber or get them the same experience um so i think that's where a little bit more difficulty comes in with with truck wagons is you know we you can have a backup but it's not really to the same extent as if you're just racing with one horse and i think dayton had a really good example of that last year at the runoff where bogart <laughs> can't believe I just screwed up my favorite horse's name. Anyways, um, where, <laughs> where Bogart got hurt and then he ended up borrowing a horse from Mitch or Mark. I can't remember who, but it was a horse that he, he ran before and everything, but he wasn't a hundred percent comfortable or set with. He ended up doing something with his reins right before the horn went and run off there. And then he missed his top barrel. And it was because someone like Dayton who's just starting off he doesn't have the depth in his barn to have that second third string right wheeler to always fill that gap yeah and I mean it just it's it's like a hockey team when you don't have defense if you have a great forward line but you don't have anyone on defense and you have no one in the pipeline to come up to defense then you're kind of screwed yeah so but I mean, there's also, there's so much luck in sport <laughs> too. So like in 2004, when Rick won the world, like we, you know, we were running our last show with, I think we had like eight horses in the barn, like wagon and out running horses. Like we were running very, very, very slim. And you know, that those horses stepped up, like they knew that, you know, something big was on the line and those horses like outperformed themselves every single night and like we would get back to the barns and like everything got wrapped and everything got you know pretty much bubble wrapped because we're like we can't afford for you to go down um but you definitely can see like horses are I, they know when it's a big competition and i mean they feed off of all the energy and everything that's going on in your barn too and i think they really know when they need to step up in some of those cases as well um but there was a lot of luck that went into winning the world that year as well so as much as you know horsepower is great but yeah you kind of have to have lady luck on your side as well i think the horses in a barn that is charged is just the coolest feeling in the world or even when they're just outside and they the races are going and they feel the tension in the air and like they just want to go yeah and like, it, it's funny because people would, some people look and they're like, that horse is crazy. It's nuts. It's losing its mind, but it's not. It just, it wants to race. It wants to run. It wants to do what their friends are doing. It might not even be their friends. It's the horse that's three barns down that they've never met before, but it's on the racetrack and it's running. So he better be on the track too. Yeah. Yeah. You just really understand how much they love to do their job. 
Well, uh, that that's it for my rant on that. Sorry. <laughs> I get very passionate about social media and like explaining to people the sport and explaining the love for the sport. Um, just because I feel like there's that disconnect. I feel like it's there. And I, I feel like social media is the only way we're going to figure out how to connect. Yeah. Well, I think there's so much, it's so easy to put negative media out there. And so, and when all you see is negative media, that's what you start to believe because that's what you're inundated with constantly. Um, so I think it, you need to have that good media coming through um, to show that, you know, there is another side to it. I always try to view it in same thing goes with oil and gas. Like you have people that are pro oil and gas. You have people that, you know, think it's the worst thing in this world. Um, and then you have the people in the middle. So you're never, I've kind of viewed it as you're never going to change the extremists. You're never going to change the people who are 100%, you know, chuck wagon racing is amazing. They're always going to believe it. And you're never going to change the people that think that this is the worst thing to ever happen in the world. Um, and that this is a horrible sport. It's the people in the middle. Like that's where, where you can start to sway what their opinions are. And I think if you're getting enough positive, good media that's realistic, that's coming out of it, you're gonna be able to sway that middle group of people towards being more positive. You might not think that chuck wagon racing is the greatest sport in the world, but they'll know that, you know, I really enjoy watching it for 10 days of the Calgary Stampede and I know those horses are well cared for. And so I think that's like the target market that you have to go for to try to change what their opinions are. And a good portion of that target market is on your social media. So if you can be having all those positives coming out so that, you know, for every negative post, there's three or four positive ones with, you know, positive stories about the horses or positive stories about, you know, how you made it down the road or how this horse has impacted your family, then you will start to sway that target market into the correct, into a more positive direction for our sport. You've heard my rants before, haven't you? <laughs> no, this is just like my marketing minor coming out. <laughs> That's why we get along. Because <laughs> I've had that conversation before too. And I think I've had it on here. I've had it on after the ninth and I've had it on outside the wagon. Maybe if we reiterate it enough times, people are going to hear it. But yeah, you one negative post is going to gain the traction that three or four positive posts will do. And sure. maybe it's just that whole being proactive instead of reactive thing. Um, yeah. and that, it, that takes a little more work, but I think now is the time really to do it. Yeah. And I think you just need to let some of those extremist posts go. So the ones that are just like, you know, so out of the park, so unrealistic, you know, don't put effort and energy into changing those people's minds. Cause you're not, and they're just getting out of it what they want because they're getting you attacking back. Whereas it's like, you know, it'd be like, you have your own opinion go off you think that way but here I'm going to show you all these positives to why you know it's better so that hopefully that target market will be able to like you'll be able to be like hey come over here to this side of the story and see how you know horse after horse after driver after driver after year after year like all these positives that kind of come from the sport um, really get out there a lot more than you know that one negative because then people can start to ignore that a little bit more. I think Katrina is doing a really good job at that right now with uh, their horse Lucky that they just got and yeah. sharing just his story. Cause I mean, she saved him basically from a meat mark or a meat plant. 
didn't really tell Cody about it, but that's okay. Minor. Um, they brought him home. He was skinny. He he needs love, but he's already filling out, and it hasn't even been a month. Yeah, and I and I think you know what? Every single driver has one or two or three of those exact same stories, and you know we just I don't think we're ever really in the I don't know if it was you know. I even don't even know how to describe it. Like if people just didn't have the um, you know platform to be able to speak about these horses, because you know I I could go through Rick's roster from the last however many years, fifteen plus years that I was with them of you know of horses that we kind of had very very similar stories to, or you know slightly different story of where we had gotten them from, and you know how you've kind of like saved their life, and you know after wagon racing where they go after that, and you know the positive that they just keep continuing to have in people's lives you know if every driver you know brought three or four stories like we could flood out a bunch of those negative posts um, because you could see kind of all the positives that the sport actually brings no there's nothing like it I actually had friends last year who they came up for a dog training camp actually and then they were in Calgary during stampede so they went to the races one night and they were messaging me afterwards and they were like how is this sport not all over the world like that was amazing like they ended up getting just rush seats so they were standing right down by the rail and they're like the ground was shaking as we were like watching them go by and just like feeling the horsepower and just like everything from the stands to the atmosphere on the track they're like that is like just the most amazing sport ever so it's kind of interesting like yeah coming from you know Texans who would you think have a you know great uh, Western heritage, knowing nothing about chuck wagons, but yet still just having like that appreciation for such a powerful sport. Well, and I mean, like we now have a Texan outrider. Well, we're supposed to. Keegan was supposed to come back this year. <laughs> COVID. Yeah, he was ready. He was he was ready to get back. I saw him. He was good to go. And then COVID. Anyways, yeah. um, but no, that's the thing, right? Like there is this sport has such an incredible history and has so much to it just we need to get it outside of Alberta Saskatchewan and BC yeah and I think that's something where you know I think sponsorship is really something that can get behind in that so um I know just from dad's experience with the Mavericks um of just getting you know different businesses so one of their platforms is they you know have their Mavericks and then they'll have um, different corporations actually like sponsor a driver for the night so they'll get their own tarp um, and the Mavericks kind of host them and just getting to see the appreciation for people who have never been down to the barns who didn't really know anything about check wagon racing and just seeing these people get this whole new appreciation for the sport and you're like okay here's us you know getting another company saying that they're involved you know in western sports and having like a positive crowd and positive people that are kind of down there to see it you know even if they are there for you know the social aspect of it you still get to have a little bit of an appreciation of like seeing how well the horses are cared for and seeing what their barn setup is like um even if you don't know anything about horses you can be you can you know kind of have a bit of an appreciation for that so i think that's something that hopefully like more sponsors will be able to get behind and be proud that they're sponsoring you know chuck wagons at the calgary stampede or along you know the wpca or the cpca or the wca and just get a little bit more of those recognitions for companies that you know you support or companies that you work for or that your family works for and be like hey if they're getting behind the sport like more people in that company hopefully will be too
if you look at PBR, they're they're fans. Yes, they're PBR fans. Yes, they're there to watch the guys get on the bulls, the guys, you know, ride their eight seconds, get scored, blah, 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 blah. They're also there for the social aspect. There is no like stampede wagons anything there is no party like a pbr party if you go to the pbr and you are watching that show you are watching a show it is like it's like a western concert oh completely it is the show aspect the um professionalism the production it is all there but I don't think we need that in wagons. We don't need that production aspect. 36 horses on a racetrack is production enough. I think maybe the music could be a little more, that could be brought up. I think where you lose a lot of people viewer wise is in between the races. So on a Harrow. Like, could you imagine if you had like a Brinson doing acts? I said his name right, right? Yeah, I think. <laughs> Should text Ted. Ted, what's his name? I follow him on Instagram. Cut this out. I'll fix it. <laughs> yeah, Brinson. Okay. Restarting this question. Um, so I think one of the areas that would really impact like making truck wagons a bit more of that performance of a show is if you had a bit more entertainment during the Harrows. So if you had like a Brinson James that was entertaining your crowd while the Harrows were going on, because I think that is where PBR, you don't lose the fans during the show because you know, you have however many bulls that they ride and then you have entertainment and something else, which goes along really well with like our you know ability to just stay focused on something for a short period of time because i think what happens is you know you watch a race it's only a minute and 15 seconds and then you kind of have this lull in between when you know the wagons are coming back as the next wagons are coming out so if you had something i think to like be keeping people engaged during that time where if you could be doing an interview so you know between yeah after heat three if you were able to interview a couple guys from heat nine and they could kind of add a little bit personal time to like the horses that they were running that night or what they think of the track or something along those lines just to keep your fans engaged, um, like, which is what PBR does. Um, so I think there's a, some positives that we could definitely pull from PBR that I think would be a big benefit to the tour. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's it. Like, we don't need the lights. We don't need, we don't need. But like, it's so awesome. Okay, yeah, but have you met our horses? Our horses won't like the lights. <laughs> Yeah, but think of the beginning of PBR when they have that music playing and they're introducing those cowboys and there's that song that goes with it and there's just all that excitement like that gets your adrenaline pumping before the races even start like that's my favorite part of PBR. <laughs> but no, that's the thing right and I, I do believe there are ways we can bring that out. It's going to take a lot more working. I think it's going to take a lot more of the committees working together and it's going to take a lot more of, you know, kind of creating a production set list and it is going to take a lot more money, um, mm -hmm. which maybe that's where the PBR has the benefit. They have that. We don't. Yeah. But if 
and I'm just going to say this, if I can prove anything, there is no money into this podcast. Minus, you know, what I have to spend to actually post it. But there's no money in this podcast. But I've been able, like Dayton and I have been able to make it something that people want to listen to. Yeah. Which I think is a big power of social media. Yeah. So it's, are we going to have the same caliber and the same money as the PBR? Not right now. Not this year. Probably not next year. Probably not until 2030, maybe. (laughs) Come on, I'm thinking optimistically. I'm thinking 2025. Like I said, I'm thinking optimistically. But, or unless someone wants to, you know, come and sweep in and buy the truck wagons and make it like a PBR and have that money there. But I think there's ways around it. There are ways that, you know, you can plug in, you can have a camera person and you can have a reporter and plug in and they can stream an interview to the light, to the big screen. But I think so much of it too is like thinking into, you know, PBR, thinking into hockey, thinking into anything where you have a whole season, which is what we have, right? Um, You get to know the teams and the players so well because you consistently get to see them throughout the year. So same thing if you could kind of do that with truck wagons and to have, you know, a little bit more of a fan base of not just those 10 days during Calgary. Because I can't compare Calgary to say the Olympics. Like you have no idea, like majority of people wouldn't know what a lot of skaters names are or what skiers names are unless you're actively involved in that sport except during the olympics then you get behind them because that's exciting and then after the olympics are done you kind of forget about them for four years whereas i think some of that kind of comes into the same with the chuck wagons is you just focus so much on those guys for 10 days and then they're gone Whereas I think if you were able to get it a bit more mainstream where it's, you're seeing these guys kind of racing every weekend, um, you get to be a little bit more of a fan. You get to be invested in who wins the world, not just who won the Calgary Stampede. I think you would get a, you would get to think a bit more sponsorship involved in that. Um, and I think you'd increase your fan base because it wouldn't just be kind of that 10 days once a year. I think me and you were just meant to be best friends. <laughs> Just saying, because you literally just used my analogy of the Olympics. So I think we were just meant to be best friends. Like, or you've just listened to me rant a lot. It's one of the two. No, I have never even heard your Olymp- Olympic analogy. I've used that a few times before chatting with my dad. So that's, yeah, that's, my, that's my favorite analogy. Whenever I would talk to the guys at 960 and they'd ask questions about the Chuck Wiggins, because, but yeah, that's the thing, right? Is it it's a very different world once you get to Stampede. Yeah. So have you ever gotten to drive a wagon or got to no. be in the wagon or hold the reins? Yeah. yeah. I've gotten to like feel for a wagon ride and that's been about it. <laughs> have you ever been in it while it was running? Uh, yeah, like just blowing out at home. That's all I get. You know what? I've been involved in truck wagons for 15 plus years. I have never once not once. No, I have once, only once hooked up the wheel team. That's it. I always get told to go stand with the leaders every time. I knew my role. <laughs> Important part of being in a team, knowing where you are successful and wanted. 
but I like you kind of graduated from there. Like when I first started, um, like I I couldn't bring an outriding horse over like on my own kind of idea. And then, you know, after a couple shows, I got to take outriding horses over and and then it just became down to like Sue started or Kaylee started to stay back with um the hook. And so Sue and I would go and take horses over. Sue and I had some great times taking out riding horses over, especially when she would bring us refreshments <laughs> during the races. Um, yeah, that was uh, always a rule in our barn was, you know, like horses, everything is very serious. So like we would never like, you know, have a beer until after, you know, horses were unhooked. Like as we were turning out, you could grab a beer sort of idea. So we never drank during the races, like just in case something ever happened, right? Like you were there and you were good. And um, yeah, one day, it's the end of the show. Sue has her backpack over. I think I had brought the horses over and she, cause she'd had to grab something else and is coming back and she has her backpack and she goes, well, I think it's about time we crack these. And she opens up her backpack and it's full of twisted teas. And I gave her the biggest hug. <laughs> So I was like, if you're saying that we can enjoy these right now, I'm going to take advantage of it. You're like, yes. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm world professional chuck wagon driver, Kurt Benzmiller. The hours of hard work and sweat it takes to be a champion can put your body to the test. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, and sometimes you just need a chiropractor. Did you know that your chiropractor is specifically trained to help everything from neck strains to back adjustments to a foot sprain? Don't let pain get in the way of your goal towards the championship. Visit albertachiro.com for more information. Thank you so much, Candace, for being a part of Women of the Wagons. And not the whole two-hour conversation is in this episode, but uh, yeah, we had a two-hour conversation and it was hilarious. It was like sitting down, just talking with a friend that you haven't seen in a while. So many great stories. Um, so the Venus versus Mars alignment actually turned more into the Candace versus the Frasers alignment. It was supposed to be Candace versus Kaylee, but that changed. Anyway, it is presented by the Alberta College and Association of Chiropractors. Don't let pain prevent you from reaching your goal to be a champion. If it hurts, see your local chiropractor and visit albertachiro.com. Um, so yeah, there was a lot in that interview. Um, I really love the fact that Candace was able to, you know, compare things to hockey, to the oil and gas industry, to all these different aspects of our lives, because it is so true. Um, social media seems to be this big overarching theme for me, but I think it is truly the next way that we're going to promote the sport. I mean, Matthew Kachuk just got a deal with Sherwood and they announced it on Instagram. So social media truly is the next way of promoting anything. Um, so that's just kind of my two cents on that, which you already heard for an hour and a half of me talking. So anyways, um, next week is going to be a little bit of a different week. There is a podcast next week, I promise you. Um, so next week's going to be a little bit different. I have another equine podcast coming on. Uh, they're called Horse Poor, and it is three barrel racing loving ladies from Northern Alberta who are going to come and we're just going to chat all things chuck wagons and kind of the overlapping uh, parts of the Western sports world and everything like that. So I can't wait to share that interview with you. 
Thank you so much for coming back and being a part of Women of the Wagons. Thank you for listening to me. I can't wait uh, just to keep sharing this sport that I love so, so much. Um, If you want more Chuck Wagon content, uh, if you aren't caught up, you can always listen to After the Ninth, hosted by Dayton Sutherland and myself, Outside the Wagon, hosted by Brian Hepson, and check out AfterTheNinth.com. And until next time, I'm Cass Patterson. Patterson.